0: You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of splatterpictures.net. and welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you some of my favorite horror comics. I'm your host, Wes Knipe. Just up top, I want to remind you guys that if you are enjoying the opening theme song, you can thank Rick Hunter. If you want to check out his stuff, head over to 57 Rick H on YouTube, and also a big thanks to Chris Begarin for the wonderful art he always provides me. So far on Panels of Blood, we've been covering the 2012 Nancy Collins iteration of Vampirella. In this version, the character is a Vatican agent that has since been betrayed by the very people who sent her out on missions to kill monsters and demons in the name of the Church. After a failed rescue attempt to save a little girl from her father, a man now possessed by the villain Ethan Shroud, High Priest of the Cult of Chaos, Vampirella becomes possessed by Lady Umbra, Lady of Shadows, Sister Bride to the God of Chaos. During a battle against Father Nicodemus and other members of the Witch's Hammer, a group of sadistic Vatican shock troops, Vampirella is rescued by a Nosferatu named Drago, who tells her in order to defeat Lady Umbra, she must find and destroy rare vampires and drink their blood to claim their power. Only then can she defeat the Lady of Shadows. First, they went to Thailand to destroy the malevolent Krazu, and then off to Greece for the ancient Lamia, worshipped as a Dark Queen protector. Now we're on issue five, titled Kalstadt, which in the last episode I foolishly thought was reference to a third rare vampire on the list, but that wasn't actually the case. Kalstat is in reference to the name of a town, which makes sense as to why I wasn't sure what it was. The actual creature is the Leptyrica, which I also haven't heard of. And after a little time with Google, pretty much the only thing I found out is it's the title of a TV movie from Yugoslavia, which is in turn based on a book after 90 years from 1880. So that's very, very, very cool. Nancy's educating me with this run on Vampirella. Also, my memory was a bit foggy on this issue, but having reread it and prepped for this show, I gotta say the vibe that Nancy is channeling, as she said as she was doing press for her run on the character, which is what made me notice this particular iteration of Vampirella as it was coming out, was that Nancy was going back to the old Warren days. If you remember in our first episode, I talked about how Vampirella sprung out of Warren comics, Warren responsible for things like creepy and eerie comics and Nancy was able to do a lot with this character. I mean, when Vampirella first showed up, she was more the host of the book, like the Shadow was back in the old radio days, anyways. Or a better example, obviously, would be the Crypt Keeper that was used to introduce small stories or Vampira from the Vampira show back in the 1950s. Vampirella was campy. It had puns. She was from the planet Draculon. It wasn't until Archie Goodwin took over the character and things got darker and more serious. But even more than all that, even more than what Nancy is channeling with the old Warren interpretations of Vampirella, what I can't get past after reading this fifth issue in the series, is how Nancy really seems to be channeling a lot of pre-code horror comics. The first six pages of this story could easily be a short story in any of these horror comics. Tales from the Crib, Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Voodoo... These were the horror comics that were super prevalent. Well, some of them were a little bit more indie than others, but for the most part, there were tons of horror comics that were getting released all the time, it wasn't until a dude named Frederick Wortham wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which basically blamed comic books for everything bad in the world, which led to Senate committees and hearings and public comic book burnings. Basically just a whole fiasco that ended up with the creation of the Comics Code, which basically ran horror comics out of business, but not Vampirella. Since it was a magazine and not a comic book, it wasn't governed by the code. So it could really keep going with the types of horror stories that became lost at that time. But the Comics Code and Pre-Code Horror is a conversation for another time. Right now, we begin Issue 5 of Vampirella. Costat written by Nancy A. Collins. Penciler, Patrick Birkenkotter. Inks, Dennis Chrysostomo. Colors, by Tore Sutil. End letters. Rob Steen. We have an establishing shot of a man's hand about to puncture a beautiful butterfly with a pin. In captions, Belgrade, Republic of Serbia. From off panel, hold still, my little beauty. We see a close-up shot of an elderly gentleman looking down at the butterfly, about to stick a pin in it. This won't hurt a bit anymore. Omniscient narration begins. This is Professor Janko Zagorak, a leading entomologist at the University of Belgrade. How he managed to survive the first Tito and then Milosevic, when many of his fellow academics had not his simple, the only thing he truly cares about is bugs. And not just any insect, he specializes in Lepidoptera, butterflies, and moths. What was the waxing and waning of political power? When compared to such transcendent beauty and variety. We see Professor Zagorak interrupted from his work. Professor Zagorak, the taxi is here. If you don't leave now, you'll miss your train. Hm? Yes. Thank you, my dear. We see Professor Zagorak standing outside a stately building getting out of a taxicab. The omniscient narration continues. The good professor has scheduled a small businessman's holiday for himself. He is traveling to the small remote village of Levada in search of an extremely rare moth. We now see the professor reading a book quietly as he sits on a train. A nice little touch here is his pipe smoke seems to be making the form of a moth, perhaps the moth he's looking for. Just It's a nice way to show that he's deep in thought and what he's thinking about is the moth. The omniscient narration continues. In fact, it is so rare that many in his field have gone so far as to deny its very existence. We now see a moth springing forth from a graveyard. According to folklore, the graveyard moth makes its home in Serbia's medieval cemeteries, nesting in untended tombs during the day, only coming out to feed after dark. This moth is now transformed into a vaporous screen spirit, of course, given the superstitious nature of peasants, the moth was said to be the spirit of a dead witch come back to haunt the living. That it seemed to be a variant of Calyptra, better known as the blood-drinking vampire moth, no doubt a great deal to do with its evil reputation. The professor is still sitting in the train. The conductor calls out, Livara? All out full of the omniscient narration continues. This is why Zagarak has come to this tiny village in the middle of nowhere, because it's the nearest settlement to a medieval necropolis, dating back to the Nemanjic dynasty of the 12th century. If there is, indeed, a graveyard moth to be found, he will find it here. One of the attendants at the station greets him. "'Welcome to Levada, Professor Zagorak. Your secretary called ahead to make sure you were properly greeted. "'Allow me to see to your bags, and I'll make sure the innkeeper gets them,' he responds. "'That is most kind of you.' They walk together, and the attendant asks him, "'Tell me, Professor, what brings a learned man such as you to our village?' "'I am seeking the elusive graveyard moth.' "'Surely you don't mean the Leptyrica. Is that what you call it? A she-butterfly?' How quaint! Inaccurate, of course, but still interesting. Could you point me in the direction of the necropolis? Go five miles, and when you come to a fork in the road, bear left. The old graveyard is near the end of the valley, at the edge of the woods. But whatever you do, make sure you are out of there before dusk. I myself do not believe the stories of it being haunted. But it is nowhere you want to be after dark we see the professor walking the woods a couple of people are walking down by the river looks to be one elderly and another young perhaps a parent and a child or a grandparent and a grandson the omniscient narration kicks in there were times when Zagorak regretted never marrying and starting a family but not on days like these he liked being able to make field trips without having to worry about a nagging wife and mundane familial obligations. Besides, being out on the hunt always puts a little spring in his step and stirred his blood. We see now the professor heading towards the necropolis with a butterfly net in his hand. Two hours later he arrives at the necropolis of the Nemanjic Kings. Thousands of huge stone monuments covered the landscape, at the center of which looms a huge stone altar. We see now the Professor using one of the tombs as a picnic table. He sits atop it with food and beverages strewn about. He's relaxing, waiting for nightfall. There is no knowing who the Ultra Stone was created for, as the language that marks it is as long dead as the ruler sealed underneath. All that matters to the good Professor are the specimens that might be hiding in the overgrowth between the toppled monuments. The Professor gets up now as the sun begins to set. Indeed, Zagorak is so preoccupied by his hunt, he loses track of the time, as afternoon slides into twilight and lengthens into dusk. But suddenly, we see this fabled moth spring forth from the crack in a tomb. But, just as he is about to give up his search and call it a day, the professor calls out as he sees the moth from the corner of his eye. Ah, there you are! The professor, with his net at the ready, chases the moth down. You can flutter all you like, my beauty, but there is no escaping me. He slams down the net and catches the moth. Aha! Got you! But we zoom into a panel, close up, of the net with his hand nearby. As he looks inside, we can see that the net is miraculously empty. What the devil? Where did it go? Suddenly, an eerie voice calls out to the professor. Professor. Eh? We see, among the gnarled trees of the woods, a shadowy figure surrounded in mist. Long, white, stringy hair, completely obscuring their body, is a long red cloak. They say again, Professor. We cut to an absolutely gorgeous splash page. This creature. Clearly the Leptyrica has removed her cloak, revealing a green body that looks like it's almost covered in wraps, perhaps bandages of some kind. They're so rotten and faded away that it's difficult to tell that at what point they were clothes or perhaps it's part of this creature's body. We're not exactly sure. It has absolutely beautiful, haunting moth wings springing from her back, The long, white hair billowing in the wind, her mouth uh, almost a circular, fanged mouth. She has red, compound eyes like an insect, and long, green antennas protruding from the tops of both of her eyes. She is as monstrous as she is beautiful. The omniscient narration returns. It is as if the very sight of her has lifted decades from his shoulders, his heart soars like that of a young man in the presence of his beloved, but there is more than mere lust at play. Her sublime beauty calls to his spirit, not his flesh, and he approaches her as he would a goddess. As he approaches this creature, we see her reach out to his face. He looks completely relaxed, almost in ecstasy as she caresses his cheek. She looks down upon him with what I can only describe as a strange majesty. He wants to tell her that he loves her, no matter what she is, only to find himself struck mute. But as he looks into her glittering, segmented eyes, he sees that there is no longer a need for words. A long, whip-like tongue protrudes from the bizarre, fanged, circular mouth of the leptirica and plunges deep into the Professor's neck, blood gushing everywhere. Still, a part of him cannot help but wonder what such a beautiful creature could possibly want from a man his age. We see his eyes rolling back in his head as this creature drinks his blood. Whatever it might be, he would gladly comply. The Professor is thrown to the ground. Blood trails down in the direction that he falls. We see the Leptyrica, now almost completely in shadow. The only thing illuminated are her wings and her tongue and her eyes. Who is he to deny? The perfect woman. Suddenly, enters Vampirella. She wastes no time and plunges some sort of implement deep into the chest of this creature. She shouts, Leave him alone! The monster cries out in pain. Vampirella grabs this creature's tongue, which now we can see even has more strange serrated fangs within the opening. Vampirella says, I hope Draga was right on how to kill this thing. With one move, Vampirella rips the tongue from this creature's mouth. And then we see a panel of the two. Almost looks like they're enjoying a tender kiss between lovers. But Vampirella is drinking the blood from this creature's mouth. The omniscient narration kicks in. She must act quickly, before the Leptyrica's blood is lost forever. We now see a floating panel of Vampirella with a pure white background. She is absorbing this creature's blood, a moth-like representation of red blood hovering in front of her body. As she feeds, Vampirella can feel the Leptyrica's life force fluttering about inside her, like a moth battering its wings against a porch light before adding its power to those stolen from the Krazu and the Lamia, A close-up panel of Vampirella wiping the blood from her face, we can still see that circular scar on her chest, left by the branding that the Cult of Chaos gave her, a sign of her possession by the Lady of Shadows. The omniscient narration returns. She's been traveling the globe in search of the rarest vampires in the world, and devouring them in order to make their power her own. All in the name of saving not only herself, but also the world, as usual. We see a large vampire bat, Drago himself, flying down to Vampirella's location. The dead Leptirica pinned to a nearby tree with that implement that Vampirella shoved into its chest. Drago says, Good, you finally killed the Leptirica. I was beginning to fear it would never show itself. You're one to talk. It's about time you got here. You know I cannot rise while the sun is above the horizon without being destroyed. Besides, I knew you were more than capable of handling the situation. Your confidence in my abilities is reassuring. Sarcasm does not suit you, my dear. Dragos, looking at the dead creature in mid-transformation himself into his Nosferatu form. What's so special about this particular breed of vampire anyways? The leptirica have always been rare. As you can see, they have an even more difficult time of passing for human than we Nosferatu. We now see a panel of Lilith, Vampirella's mother, in a loving embrace, flying through the air with a giant furry moth creature. Drago's narration continues. Like all vampires, The Laptirica were descended from the offspring of Lilith, the first woman in this case, one sired by a moth demon. If I'm not mistaken, this was the last of her kind. Drago, now no longer a vampire bat, stands next to Vampirella, the angle suggesting a POV shot of the professor lying on the ground. He says, Beautiful. Vampirella reaches down to the man, bleeding profusely from the neck. Such a beautiful specimen. He points to the creature, still pinned dead against the tree. Vampirella looks at it as well. And even rarer than I suspected. A shot of Drago and Vampirella looking now at the professor's body. She says, he's dead. He is in a good place for it. Drago, now returning to a vampire bat, takes off to the sky once more. As for us... We have a train to catch. A panel of the two flying in the air, silhouetted by the moonlight. They're heading towards a train. The omniscient narration returns. As they arrive at the village of Levada, Vampirella is surprised to see an antique passenger train, its window painted black against prying eyes and the burning rays of the sun, idling at the village station. Drago now speaking to his servant, Coleridge. Are we ready to go, Coleridge? Yes, my lord. And the station master? He is no longer a concern. Vampirella and Drago, now inside the train's interiors. Vampirella seems to be looking around the train car. First by air, then by water, now by rail. You certainly have a wide selection of personal transportation, Drago. The fruits of a very long... And rewarding existence, my dear. The two now settle into this luxurious train car and are enjoying a glass of wine, which is probably not wine and blood, but I digress. Vampirella asks, Who's driving the train? Coleridge, of course. He is my personal driver, regardless of the means of conveyance. We see Coleridge, indeed, driving the train, Vampirella asks in a caption. Who, or should I say what, is Coleridge, exactly? And why is he working for you? Drago looks down and contemplates his glass. Coleridge, like the Dark Mother, is one of the accursed, those unfortunate humans who have somehow sinned against the powers that be and have been punished with eternal life. We see a man in ragged clothes walking through a desert, staring up at the sun, presumably Coleridge at some far earlier point in his life. Drago continues in caption, Coleridge transgressed by killing a creature beloved of the powers that be. A poet even wrote about him once, although he took liberties with the story as poets want to do. It has always amused me that humanity is so obsessed with attaining that which gods deem the cruelest fate imaginable. As for why he serves me, well, a man must make his living, immortal or not. Vampirella pours another glass, she's off panel, and we see Drago still sitting across from her at the table. So, where are we headed to now? A delightful little Transylvanian village known as Kostad. It is the home of the final vampire you need to fortify yourself. What kind is it this time? A Nosferatu. I don't mean to offend Drago, but Nosferatu aren't exactly rare. We will be soon enough, What with it being increasingly difficult for us to pass. But what makes this Nosferatu unique is his age. Not only is he the oldest Nosferatu in existence, He is also the first of our kind. In fact, he is the king of the Nosferatu. The first Nosferatu? Then that would make him your brother, yes. Or half-brother, I should say. Vampirella, sipping her wine glass, looks on. As we cut to an image of Lilith, naked, hanging upside down, legs and arms wrapped around a giant vampire bat. Of the multitude of demons Lilith copulated with, in defiance of the powers that be, one of the most virile was Kamazot's, the Deathbat. Bat. We now see Lilith, clothed, in her armor, holding two babies. One baby looks surprisingly human. The other, pale-skinned, pointy ears. Like a Nosferatu. Not only did Camazot plant his seed in the Dark Mother's womb, he gave her twin sons. We now see a close-up of the two babies, swaddled in blankets. They both look pretty happy, as I suppose small babies would be. One son was outwardly human in appearance, while the other son was not. We see Lilith leaned over, being quite friendly with the more human son. They now look to be about four... Maybe five years old. In the foreground, we see the Nosferatu looking on in jealousy. Lilith favored the more handsome child over his brother, setting up a rivalry that continues to this day among the issue. We see now this handsome twin brother looking to be a young man of his twenties, while the Nosferatu stands off of a balcony looking on as this handsome brother seduces a beautiful woman. From the very start, the handsome twin had no trouble seducing unwary maidens into becoming his brides. We see now the handsome brother lying in bed, his face a look of total shock as a stake is plunged deep into his heart. However, because things had always come so easily to him, the handsome brother eventually became careless, which led to his death at the hands of the humans he preyed upon the next panel we see a woman minding her own business while the shadowy nosferatu with gleaming red eyes reaches out towards her she is unaware whereas the king of the Nosferatu, who could not rely on his looks had to be far craftier when it came to hunting such carefulness has served him well over the centuries That is why he still rules over his children, while the other spawn of Lilith have long since crumbled to dust. Vampirella points an accusatory finger at Drago. Now I know what your game is. I knew all that stuff about wanting to prevent the apocalypse in order to keep your position in the pecking order was bullshit. You just want to use me to kill your king so you can take his place. Drago now heading to his own casket. I always knew you were more than a pretty face, Vampirella. We will discuss this some more when we have arrived in Kostad tomorrow night. Vampirella now heading off to her own bedroom. In captions, I recommend you get some rest. Courage has prepared a stateroom for you. We have a long train ride ahead of us. Now late at night, Vampirella lies naked in bed, deep in contemplation. Omniscient narration begins. Despite her weariness and the steady rocking motion of the passenger car, Vampirella finds it impossible to get to sleep. Her mind races about like an animal in a cage, desperately trying to find a way out of her predicament. She should have known better than to allow Drago to talk her into this insane blood hunt. We now see a collage of the various things that's happened to Vampirella in this adventure so far. Her branding of the Cult of Chaos. Her inability to save Emma. Emma's mother, strung up upside down against a wall, nearly cut in half by that serrated saw. Ever since the night she tried to rescue Emma Baxter from Ethan Shroud in the Chaos Cult, only to find herself marked as an offering to the shadow goddess Lady Umbra, her whole life has been upended. Not only has the Vatican turned against her, even going so far as to send their elite hit squad after her, but now she's allied with a Nosferatu the type of creature she once dedicated herself to eradicating. We see a shot of Vampirella being rescued by Drago. Ever since Drago rescued her from Father Nicodemus and the Witch's Hammer, Vampirella has traveled from one side of the globe to the other in search of the world's rarest vampires so that she can kill them and make their blood her own. We now see a collage of the Krazu, the Lamia, the other vampires that Vampirella has had to kill and take their essence from. All to keep the Lady of Shadows from taking possession of her body and using it to usher in the apocalypse. For with every passing day, Vampirella can feel the darkness within her grow, dimming her sense of right and wrong. We see Lady Umbra hovering over her, both women nude. Lady Umbra seems to be stealing Vampirella's essence. In Greece, She manipulated a young man into walking into certain death, and when Coleridge announced he had disposed of the Serbian stationmaster, she didn't say a word. Vampirella's face, now sweating in total fear, she began this quest in hopes of saving her soul, but by allying herself with a monster, had she simply made it easier for the Queen of Shadows to take control. Could this be the end of the line for Vampirella? We now see that Drago and Vampirella have arrived at this small town. In captions, Kostat, Romania. Vamperella speaks. What is this place? For over 700 years, it was the home of the Transylvanian Saxons, a people of German ethnicity who first settled in this region in the 12th century in order to defend the southeastern borders of the Kingdom of Hungary. When the Eastern Bloc collapsed 25 years ago, there was a mass exodus, as the Saxons returned to Germany, leaving entire towns deserted, Kostad was one such village. They now walk through this old and abandoned city, a virtual ghost town. In the distance, a large stately castle on a hill overlooks the town. The king of the Nosferatu recognized a unique opportunity and relocated his court to Kostad. That is his castle up ahead. Not exactly Buckingham Palace, is it? The same shot now, but Vampirella twisted around. Drago mysteriously has vanished in thin air. So, how do you propose we handle this? Drago? We see Vampirella searching the village. Damn it! I should have known I couldn't trust the bald bastard from the start. We see Nosferatu looking at her from all angles. In captions, It has been a long time since Kolstad had a visitor. A very long time indeed. Suddenly, amongst the rolling fog, we see a Nosferatu, but this one's clearly not Drago. He has a far more emaciated and dead expression is the only way that I could say it. White eyes somehow looks less friendly than Drago. Halt! I am the here. I demand to know what you are doing in our village. We now see Vampirella is completely surrounded by at least a dozen Nosferatu. Our? Great. This just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Seize her! The Nosferatu shouts orders as another one leaps through the air, hissing. Vampirella stands ready, its claws outstretched towards her face and scratches down her cheek. She's barely able to dodge. That son of a bitch led me into a trap, and like an idiot, I walked right into it. Vampirella clutching the head of the Nosferatu that scratched her face. She twists its head hard and breaks his neck. When I get my hands on him, I'll make him pay for setting me up. The Nosferatu look on in anger as their fallen comrade lies dead, still being clutched in Vampirella's fist. Come on, you ugly mothers. What are you afraid of? The Nosferatu essentially dogpile her, all attacking at once. That's right, swarming like the diseased Furman you are. We now have an establishing shot of the palace. Standing there, the Bougermeister. Is prostrating himself, gesturing towards the door. Two other Nosferatu that have large crescent shaped sickles on them stand guard on either side. This Nosferatu speaks. Normally, unexpected visitors to Kossat are dealt with very quickly, but you are not just another co at backpacking across Romania, are you? Our king reserves the right to interrogate spies. So, as the Burgermeister it is my honor to bring you before a Sovereign Master and Founder. We now see Vampirella with a couple of the Nosferatu guards standing by her. They're really cool. I like their outfits. It's kind of like they have studs and spikes, shoulder pads. It's pretty cool. Vampirella is damaged. She is in stocks and being led to this throne room. Can the chit-chat, Burgermeister, Meister Burger. Welcome, Vampirella to the Hall of the Nosferatu King, as she's led into this great hall. Cool. Who's this decorator, Ozzy Osborne. One of the other Nosferatu guards strikes her on her back. Shut your mouth, spy! She looks over in anger. You better pray I don't shove that overgrown sling blade up your ass, pretty boy. Leave her be. That's an order. I want her freed this instant. Yes, your excellency. Vampirella now has used this opportunity to break her stocks, and she backhands the Nosferatu that struck her away. Here, let me help you with that. We now see who this individual was. And I used his voice, so I guess you already know. But Vampirella stands there, clenching her fists, looking up at a throne with a large stone vampire bat on the back of it, stone skulls adorning the bottom. It is Drago himself. I... Did you welcome to my house, little sister. Enter freely and of your own will. And that is gonna do it for issue five. Take that in, guys. I gotta say, when I first read this, it became clear to me I'm not one of those people that really tries to guess ahead about what a character's plan might be or what a character is about to do, but here we have Drago, the leader of the Nosferatu. He's led Vampirella to this place. He's helped her drink the blood of the other vampires. What is his game plan? We're going to have to wait till next week to find out. As we hurtle to the conclusion of this story with Vampirella Issue 6, Total Eclipse of the Heart. I'm Wes Knipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.